0: Welcome to Unraveling Pink, a podcast tackling gender bias at work. I'm Annie Rogaski, and I'm here today with Mona Sabay, the Managing Director of Tribal Ventures. Welcome, Mona. Hi, Annie. So, Mona and I talked a few weeks back about kind of the intersection of the Me Too moments and the male ally moments that I was doing in November. And I asked you if you had a male ally moment to share. And you said to me, I do, but the package it comes in may not be someone we want to highlight.
1: Yeah, I was struggling with your entire November set of podcasts because (laughs) I thought to myself, geez, I mean, do I not have any male ally moments to share? And as I really dug deep into my past, I thought some of the men who have been, you know, responsible for my career development are also men who you know, in other aspects of their lives are not necessarily doing things that we think are very good or courageous or uh, appropriate. And so how do you celebrate them in the face of knowing that? So you're not the only person to have some
0: challenges with my November posting, and it's good to hear those challenges. But what struck me about your comment is it kind of came home to roost in almost an opposite way when I saw in the press things like Al Franken, who has been a great advocate for women generally, who had his series of Me Too moments against him. And then, of course, Louis C.K. and Sarah Silverman's video about her conflicting feelings of having a friend who was accused of Me Too moments. And that, combined with your observations, um, made it pretty clear to me that people come in imperfect packages and we can have male ally moments and Me Too moments in the same person. But then what do you do about that? Do you celebrate
1: it? Do you not celebrate it? What do you think, think? Well, I think everybody has a different context when they come to these things, these kinds of conversations. And my context, and I know you know, you and well enough to know that your background is similar in certain ways. I mean, I went to undergraduate in engineering at a time when there were very few women in engineering, still are. And honestly, back then I didn't really think about men and women and male allies and feminism. I didn't think about all of those things, and I didn't really think about them until I started in the work world. and. You know my first work experience was law firms and law firms Mm -hmm. are traditionally skewed towards men with in power who don't do very good things and i had a lot of experiences of being hit on Mm -hmm. um, when i was uh, at law firms and i think that that was the first time that i started thinking about the male female dynamic Hmm. in any real way i mean i was always in the minority But I tried to become part of the majority in the way I acted or, you you know, whether I was a jock or whether I drank beer or whatever it was, I tried to become part of the majority and became very clear that I wasn't part of that majority when I hit the work world. So these are the men, as you said, whether they were sexually harassing or bothering me or whether I saw them do this to other women at these firms, These were honestly the same men who gave me the great projects to work on. And when I did something wrong or I didn't do things quite right, who taught me how to do things better instead of just, you know, ignoring me and moving on to the next thing? Mm -hmm. I can actually probably trace both in my law firm world and in the corporate world um, a series of men who are largely responsible for making sure that I got enough visibility on high visibility projects so that I could move along in my career and while most of what I've done in the last 10 years has been focused around building a network of women Mm -hmm. it's still mostly the men who helped propel my career even though I know way more women than men now (laughs) so you know your question I think is really interesting because my first reaction was to say, no, I can't bring those positives to the forefront Mm -hmm. and have that conversation with you because they're mired in all of these negatives. So what do you do about that? Well, I was thinking about it and I thought, well, you know, when we think about, because we both have legal backgrounds, Mm -hmm. when we think about the justice system and when you think about people who have committed a crime, Mm those people are educated by independent people. It's not like the victim of the crime gets to make a decision about what happens to them. Mm-hmm. So I think that you could sort of use that same analogy in this world of bias and sexual harassment and sexual assault, where it's, I think that it's not necessarily either the right thing to do, reasonable to expect, or perhaps good for society, to expect the women that have been subject of these negative male actions to be the ones that then say, yeah, but despite that, mm-hmm. there are these positive characteristics mm-hmm. of them, right? Because when you've been hurt, it's not like you can just sort of get up and say, yeah, but I see the whole picture. It's, it's, it's not reasonable.
0: Yeah, and that's interesting because uh, what we've seen happen with the Me Too moments a lot of times is someone will come forward with their story and then you'll hear someone else, male or female, Um, say, oh, but I had a good experience with that person. Exactly. And it's almost as if that's said as a way to uh, cast
1: questions on the credibility of the person who made the accusation. Well, that's how the rest of the world looks at it, right? Right. Because we live in this world that's really, this is really frustrating for me. There's no nuance left in this world, right? (laughs) And so you either are right or wrong. It's not like both of them can be true. Right? You can't have the person who says no, this thing happened and it was really bad. That person did a bad thing, and then someone else say that person did a good thing. You can't have both of those things exist. One person has to be wrong, and so you're going to cast credit, you know, question on the credibility of the woman who claims to have been a victim of, of something. And that's just not right. Mm -hmm. So what's really interesting, and I went and looked this up after we decided to have this conversation, was one of my favorite TED talks, and I won't remember her name because it's very complicated, but I wrote it down. was uh, by a woman uh, named Chimamanda Adichie. Yeah, she's uh, a Nigerian author Hmm. and her TED talk, it was in 2009, And she talked about how being from Nigeria and being an author and being well-educated was confusing to people, right? She had a multiplicity of personalities, but people kept insisting on trying to put her into what she called the words that I liked were a single story. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, as I think about this issue, I think that that's something that maybe we can explore, this idea that when we talk about Al Franken, suddenly he's a single story. Forget about everything else he's done in his life, Mm -hmm. right? Now we have only one way to evaluate him, and and it's just not true. We're complex human beings. And we've done a whole bunch of things over the course of our lives. So that made me think about, is this a different way to maybe approach this male allies thing? Coming at it from two different perspectives. First of all, That not everybody is. People are not single stories. Mm -hmm. There's a lot. So there can be good and bad in
0: both in everybody. And there there is is. good and bad. And
1: And I mean, since Greek philosophers, we've known this, Mm -hmm. right? But then, secondly, you can't necessarily expect the persons that that has been hurt to appreciate the good. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, what does that mean? Does that mean that you need to look for someone else to appreciate the good, so that you just don't destroy all the good?
0: Hmm. Hmm. I don't know, <laughs> yeah, or do you just appreciate the good separate from the person? How do you do that though? So well, so part of the taking us to the the male ally moment side of things, like there is a way to appreciate the actions without assigning a name. So we can say, these are things that men have done to advance my career, mm-hmm. and I'm appreciative of those things regardless of who the person is or how that package comes together, good and bad. Now that doesn't necessarily play out on the public sphere where we're seeing a lot of these issues come up.
1: I don't know, I think that in my, as I think about this, I think it still reduces people into, it doesn't allow us to see a full person, right? Mm-hmm. I mean. We should be able to, I can, if, if I'm not the subject of, like, being the victim in a scenario, I can look at someone and say, quite honestly, you know, you're, you have done a lot of good things. In many ways, I can see how people say you are a good person. Mm-hmm. But also, I can see how you've hurt some people. I think one of the things that we need to be able to do, maybe if um, feminism was to evolve a little bit more, is to evolve to understand that we should be allowed to talk about both of those sides of people and men in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure that we're allowed to in today's feminist discussion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To hold both of those concepts at the same time. Yeah. yeah, learn how to do that, grow as a movement or as individuals to learn how to do that. I don't even know if I can do that mm-hmm. still, but you know, I think that that would be a better way for us to be able to celebrate. We can celebrate actions, but still assign them to people. Because if you celebrate actions without the person, then you're really not advancing and being able to say that everybody has a little bit of good, everybody has a little bit of bad, and it's just a question of, you know, Mm -hmm. degree. And if you celebrate the good
0: and the person together, and there's also the bad that comes out, Mm -hmm. um, to your point, that could enable a more balanced picture of who that person is. And And what
1: we're like as human
0: beings, right? Yeah, um, something you said also made me think, kind of coming back to the justice system, of is there a path where you pay for your crime and move on, so to speak? Yeah, we call
1: this redemption, right? Right. (laughs) And there's no, right now, discussion about redemption. Well, so the only thing I've seen really is uh, not so
0: much full redemption, but... the the differences I'm seeing in the Me Too stories are, and I don't know if this is a political persuasion, so call me out on this if you think it is, but for Al Franken and for Louis C.K., what struck me about both of them is they both said something to the effect of yes I did it or I'm sorry, you know, they made some acknowledgement of the fact that this person who made an accusation against me has credibility. And I remember when I heard Louis C.K.'s reaction and statement. It kind of took the the anger out of me mm-hmm. a little bit, not completely, but it, it made me stop and think. Okay, now, now what? Whereas the men who say, "Oh, I don't believe those women," you know, I'm want to charge growing. the hill against them, right? right. Um, so I wonder if there are, if if there's some step towards that redemption that the men who get accused of these things should be thinking about, or those who have not been accused but know that they've done something in the past should be thinking about?
1: I think this whole idea of redemption is, is something that we haven't started looking at, um, and we should, I, otherwise um, the entire movement is as unnuanced as everything else that we complain about, right, right? <laughs> um, in the media. Um, And one of the things, just stepping back from what your point was for a moment, one of the things that frustrated me a lot before we started naming names in the Me Too movement um, was that uh, men would would lose their job because of claims of sexual harassment internally, but those claims and the reason why they lost their job were kept confidential. Mm -hmm. And so there's clearly no redemption there because these men if, if nobody knows why they lost their jobs they just go off and get another job somewhere else and right. then they could do the same thing and it never made sense to me why why the solution was to fire someone privately mm-hmm. um, because all you did was allow them to go do this somewhere else if that was the kind of person they were going to continue being right right at least now they can't go into the next role uh, without having redeemed themselves somehow, Mm -hmm. whatever that is. Now, today, we don't give them a path to that. There's nothing in the news, there's nothing in our media that says, and this is what they'd have to do in order to be able to reclaim our trust, right? But in the criminal justice system, there is mm-hmm. I mean they do time they you know have to go on parole perhaps they try and get jobs they hold jobs for a while they're clean mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of things that we can sort of empathetically look at people and then say wow they've really changed turned themselves around mm-hmm.
0: or they've paid their dues or they paid and their dues and it's time chance. to
1: give them a second chance yeah. um, so so I think what would be really interesting uh, is to build that out in our minds and in society? What would that look like? What would it take for us to give Louis CK a second chance? Mm -hmm. I don't think it's as simple as an apology. Mm -hmm. I met a woman in the UK who they do this facilitation with victims and perpetrators of crimes Mm. where uh, they get them together in a room facilitated with psychologists for the sole purpose of just trying to you know, get a little bit of um, the grief out of the way between them with the goal of being hopefully the perpetrator of the crime, maybe gets to the point of apologizing, Honestly, and understanding what they've really done to the person and the victim being able to move past it. And so, and it's become part of the criminal justice system. So there's the justice system, and then they also add this hmm. as an additional facilitation technique. And that I could imagine being something that's not just applied there, but applied in this, in this world so that we could eventually look at these men and say, yeah, you know, they did some really great things then they did some really bad things. Mm-hmm. And then they've moved on and, you know, they've discovered why those things were really bad and and moved on to do really good things again, hopefully. So that is fascinating.
0: I have a lot of thoughts around what it might be like to sit in that room. But one thing you just said made me think of almost like a a scorecard, and I don't think this is the way to go. It's just something that came up, so I'm gonna just throw it out there. It, it it's like if, if somebody has done one thing wrong, but a hundred things right, what is it, mitigating circumstances in the law or something to that effect? Should we lay out someone's entire record or someone's entire life and say, okay, well, on balance, almost like a sentencing uh, approach, since you've done so many good things, an apology is enough. Or if you haven't done enough good things, your probation is go do good things. Go, go be an ally to women or go do
1: these concrete things. And learn about bias and experience yeah. it for yourself or something yeah. like that.
0: And I don't but, know if that's the right approach, um, but it does strike me that people who, men who have done a lot of good for women, but make a mistake here or there in my mind, should get more leniency than men who have been jerks to women all along and did one nice thing
1: once. You know, once. Yeah, and I think, again, when we talk about this, I can just imagine someone listening to this being the subject of sexual abuse or sexual harassment and mm-hmm. thinking, no, these yeah. are evil, evil people. Right. And the thing that's hard to remember is that for society to function, the people that have to be able to adjudicate against people, Mm -hmm. have to be emotionally distant Mm -hmm. from the action that got committed. Otherwise, you know, otherwise it's always just going to be a retribution, um, a set of retribution. And so it's really hard. I mean, and again, it would be very hard for me to do if, you know, in the times that I've been in that circumstance or if I was in that circumstance, but that's not the point. Because there's women out there that have done bad things too. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Those women have done a lot of good things, too. And I think what, we, what we've what we done is we've crossed the line into the significant danger zone of just viewing everybody as almost a myth. I talk about um, the myth of the individual hero um, when I talk about teams. And I think that I'm going to apply it into this scenario also. People are have just become myths, and they're all like they're all one thing. And as soon as that one thing falls apart, mm-hmm. then they're nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not true for any of us. So, can we can we learn how to see this entire arc life arc of someone where they might do good things, bad things, mm-hmm. and then they should be able to get to a point of redemption. If they don't, then that's a problem you know right but if they do get to that point can we then celebrate the good things that that individual has done recognizing that people are complex and Mm -hmm. you know humanity always has the frailty associated with it and can we be okay with that right so I think that that's the best that um I can take away from this you know the question so you asked at the very beginning Oh, do you have any male ally moments to celebrate? And my answer was, well, no, because it's not that simple for me. But now I'm thinking about it. And I think that if I was a more advanced person, (laughs) then perhaps I could be the kind of person who could celebrate the male ally moments at the same time as recognizing that they had some you know, either faults or all the way to potentially criminal behavior, right? Mm-hmm. Because sexual assault is a crime. Right. And and still see both of those, and as you say, sort of weigh them in different, different amounts, but not take away from either one.
0: Mm-hmm. So one question that came to mind when you were first talking about that was whether your experience of having these men act as an ally to you was separate from their bad behavior meaning were they acting in a bad way towards other women but not towards you and you saw that but was it their interactions with you were positive and with others might have been negative as opposed to their interactions
1: with you being both positive and negative and i've had both experiences okay. Um, but I'll say that the problem with being, as most women know, a woman in the profession is even if you're not the one being hit on,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but you know that that's the kind of person that you're working with, mm-hmm. you always sort of second guess whether the reason that you're advancing is because the, of that that there's a subtle relationship issue there yeah. that they 're trying to play on rather than something else, right. so it nags at you regardless, mm-hmm. um, even if nothing happened right mm-hmm. um, so that's why you know even the examples I can think of where bad behavior was not directed to me mm-hmm. and I was the recipient of a lot of real positive coaching and and assistance and development it's still hard is, is it um,
0: I mean, my perception would be it's hard to accept that help when
1: you know it comes from someone who's doing things It's hard that are... for me to celebrate it. Yeah. It's easy for me to accept it because I think I deserve it. I think mm-hmm. we all do in spades more than we get it. Yeah. But it's hard for me to celebrate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean that I think I'm right. I think that I should be able to be more nuanced about it, but it's still... You know, this is why I wanted to start off by separating when, you know, you're in the middle of it versus when you're looking externally to it. Right, right. Yeah. Like, I can look at the whole Al Franken situation, having never met the guy in my life, and think, he's done a lot of good for the world. Mm Mm-hmm. And it doesn't hurt me as much as being able to say that about someone that I had a personal experience with. Sure. Right? Yeah. So is
0: there any particular path forward right now that you see
1: us taking to get to that more nuanced space or to get to redemption? Well, yeah, I think I think I've got some uh, optimism and some pessimism in
0: that way. Oh, good. (laughs) A nuanced answer. Exactly.
1: (laughs) I think optimistically, we're starting to hear stories about Different levels of consequences for different people. Mm-hmm. Right now, there's been one consequence: everybody gets fired, mm-hmm. right? And I've started to hear in the media a question about how do we how do we wrestle with different levels of consequences? And I think that um, companies and HR departments in companies and legal departments in companies are going to have to start wrestling with that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, we're going to have a total different kind of talents shortage. So that might lead to, and I would hope that that would lead to uh, not just what you were talking about, which is sort of a, a bit more of a balancing act, but also perhaps you're not fired, but you have to go through this training program. Mm-hmm. You're, you're put on a six month leave and mm-hmm. you know we're going to do good for the world, not just react to this. We're going to put you on a six month leave. It's just like if you're an alcoholic, you go to like detox, Mm -hmm, right, and then come back after and let's work with you again. Mm -hmm. I think that that would be fabulous.
0: Depending on
1: the The severity. severity, That's
0: right. If it's criminal, of course, that would be a different thing. A different kind of leave. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of, (laughs) there's a lot in between what we're seeing publicly play out in what happens on a day-to-day basis in the office. Absolutely. And if we could educate people by giving them a timeout and some information
1: and, to go learn, that would be positive. And that would have to be an entire industry that doesn't exist now in my mind because what exists now is also superfluous. It's like, sexual harassment training videos that nobody really pays attention to so this would be massive change but we're in the middle of massive change so Mm -hmm. so that's my optimistic side Um, my the side that worries me is that you know forget about male allies and feminism and you know that bucket and just look at our society in general we are we continue to slide down that rat hole into taglines and sound bites and um, nothing nuanced at all. Mm-hmm. And this is a complex problem that requires a really complex set of solutions, not just one, but many, many different set of solutions. And we don't seem to have the capacity anymore to handle those things, um, especially when they get in the public eye. Yeah. And so um, I think that will be the counterforce.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. It, the the public aspect of it, I think, adds an additional challenge to resolving this because it's hard enough to go through these things privately. Mm-hmm. I think it's needed to draw awareness to it right now. Um, but in terms of solutions and finding a path forward that doesn't involve public accusations every other day or every, every day. Other hour or hour, <laughs> we need to find a way that's both more private and yet not so confidential that you perpetuate the problem in different places.
1: Right. Right. And I agree with you. Um, It's like I said before, if we didn't have this period right now where there was massive attention drawn on it, nobody would be thinking about change.
0: Well, so let me ask you this. Do you feel like
1: it's different this
0: time? I mean, we have heard stories in private in public in the past about sexual harassment um, it feels different to me this time it feels like there's momentum towards some change do you feel that too
1: I mean I think about if Anita Hill had brought her claims today as mm-hmm. opposed to 20 years ago or however long it was yeah. we would have seen a very different outcome and so that is good yeah that is good Um, so it's definitely different I mean there's definitely a difference between before and now Um, so it requires smart intelligent people to take that next step now not just continue to bring everything into the media and you know just to to publicize another man going down Um, because It's still important to do that, but it's important to do more than that. Mm -hmm. To move on to solutions. We've got to move on to some solutions. Mm -hmm. Um, We can't just keep writing off all of these men. Mm -hmm. My my bet is if we actually knew everything about every man in America, we'd be writing (laughs) off a large percentage of the population unless we came up with another solution. I think you're right. (laughs) So... I do think it's different, but what I haven't seen yet is someone taking the solution approach to it. Mm-hmm. So I'm, okay. I'm looking for that. So do you have a challenge for our listeners? I so do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I do. I think that, I mean, I think a twofold challenge after our conversation. One is I think that if we all try to think about people more wholly, like with faults and all then we can be a little less um sensationalized mm-hmm. about every action that everybody takes it's still really important i i find it i find it interesting that i can have a lot of empathy for a criminal who has been jailed for something really terrible but then has you know, has done his time and and done a whole bunch of self-reflection and understanding and then tried to get back out there and now holds a job. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can have a ton of empathy for them and yet w- right now we have no empathy for, you know, anybody who's done sexual harassment or, mm-hmm. you know. So, so I think uh, challenge number one would be if we all started, Uh, thinking about people in the entirety of their complexity, not just as a single story, um, then we'd probably be more open to solutions. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then secondly, I think it would be great if we could start formulating uh, some, what's the next step here? Now that we've identified and convinced everybody that this is a rampant problem and that it affects women in ways that men really haven't understood before in their development and so while we look for male allies it just becomes that much harder even if they have been allies um, to really celebrate them Mm -hmm. now that we've we all understand this what do we do so that we can we can work with men Mm -hmm. effectively Mm -hmm. in the work world and not have all of these or at least as many underlying currents of Mm Of anger and stress um, I think that that would be a great challenge for someone to work on those are great challenges
0: Um, it strikes me on your second challenge that it's almost identifying um, something that's broken that needs to be fixed almost as opposed to something
1: that's irreparably destroyed Exactly. I think that that would be a wonderful way for us to look at things. Right. So, yeah, it's like uh, back to my example. If you're an alcoholic, we don't just say, "Okay, you're done Mm -hmm. forever. Right. There's no hope for you. You know, we have a we have a program. We have a 12 step process. Um, People are proud to walk out of things and say, you know, I haven't had a drink in three years. Mm -hmm. Um, It would be wonderful if we could apply that same solution type uh, thinking to this problem. hmm Great. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. It's been fun. It's fun talking to you about this.
0: Difficult topic, but maybe in a year or so we can talk about the solutions that have already started forming. That would
1: be fun. Let's come back and do that. Okay.
0: <laughs> thank you, Mona, for the thoughts you shared in this episode. I think you raised a lot of really important and difficult questions. It was a very fun conversation to have with you. Not in an entertaining, fun way, but just these are conversations that we need to have more often. And it was nice to have that conversation in a way that explored potential ways forward, but also uh, there are some challenging issues there and we didn't necessarily see eye to eye on everything. And that's important to get comfortable with as well. In, in looking into the future, Mona suggested we have some work to do, and I agree with her, on where do we go from here in the Me Too movement and how do we get to a point of solutions and how do we get to a point of healing. And I think that we don't have all the solutions yet, but we are on a path towards uh, a good set of tools in our toolkit. One tool I'd like to highlight is M-Train, If you recall back uh, earlier this year, I interviewed Janine Yancey in an episode called The Red Zone. I believe it was episode 10. If you haven't listened to it, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. M Train is a really interesting new solution for folks in the HR space. It is a resource anonymously to anyone who is an employee and has an issue that they'd like to get help with. And it's also a tool for employers who are trying to get to a more healthy work environment. So I think M-Train is one answer to Mona's question of what tools do we have or can we develop in the future to deal with the Me Too uh, moments that we're hearing about. Um, So I encourage you to check that out. If you are in a workplace that you think could benefit from it, um, I encourage you to give it a try, putting that tool into practice at your workplace. I also encourage people to really spend some time thinking about Mona's concept of nuance. She came back to this theme a number of times. It's really hard, especially with uh, sensitive topics like the Me Too moments we've been hearing, to 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 come to people with empathy and to appreciate that everyone has positives and negatives good and bad um, and uh, try to see a more nuanced whole picture of people so i will certainly take mona's challenge and try to put that into practice i encourage you to do that as well and then finally mona did question whether we should be celebrating male ally moments and it's a good question i will continue to talk with people about it and hear their perspective And I will continue to share male ally moment stories because I do think it's important. Certainly, we should keep in mind that each of these allies is a complex person with good and bad. But also, I think the male ally moments offer some solutions. They offer some actions that men everywhere can take to move us to a better place. So I will continue to do that in 2018. If you have a male ally moment you would like to share, let me know. If you have an opinion about whether or not we should be highlighting male ally moments, let me know that too. I'm happy to have these conversations. I think they're important for us to have and to hear. Together, we can unravel the pink bandana.